You're listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. What's up, guys? How we doing? Man. <laughs> Ten. Nice. Man, I'm, I'm pumped to be back with you guys. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Brandon. I'm the college and adult pastor here at Southcrest. And man, we're excited uh, for, for what God is going to do uh, in the journey in 2019. And as you can see, we're going to be going through the book of Acts for the next several weeks. So if you would, if you have a Bible or you're on your phone, however you're going to do it, if you would go ahead and turn to the book of Acts, we're going to be there um, in just a moment. Just a moment. Was worship good tonight? Yes, I mean, we're going to sing a little more uh, when I'm done with the message, so looking forward to that as well. So again, we're going to be Acts chapter 1 here in just a moment. You know, something, there's something that amazes me, like I'm always interested in, and that is whether it's a team or an organization or even in, an individual, I'm always amazed at how something can go from really nothing to something amazing, from something like average and ordinary to something incredible that like takes over the world or, or is the best in class. So for example, um, and I know we don't like to think about this, but like the University of Alabama, I know they did not win the national championship this year, but they're pretty good at football, right? <laughs> like, can we just agree? They're pretty darn good at football. Like year after year, they're forced to be reckoned with. And what's interesting to me is while Alabama is beautiful, the state is beautiful, I have a lot of family there, Tuscaloosa is in the middle of nowhere, right? It's kind of like, how, how do they build an empire for college football in the middle of nowhere? And year after year, I know like Nick Saban, but I'm, I'm intrigued. Like, how does that happen? Or I think about um, Bruno Mars, which I have a really sweet tracksuit where I try to look like Bruno Mars. If you want to see it, I'll show it to you. Anyway, it's really bad, actually. But um, Bruno Mars, interesting. So I grew up in Hawaii, but in 2003... Motown Records actually cut him from their label, which I feel like now in every meeting, they probably start with, we hate our lives. <laughs> like, they, they kind of missed that one, right? But was cut from Motown Records in 2003, and now he's one of the most uh, successful music artists of all time, right? Like, he's, he's pretty good. <laughs> um, or I think about the company Apple. So it started by two guys by the name of Steve, <laughs> who had this idea that we could change the way people view their computer, that it's not just something for an organization, but it's like an actual personal device, that technology could be used for, for personal, even like for, for pleasure. It's, it's not a bad thing. It can be brought into the home for personal use. And as of 2012, their annual, annual world, <laughs> worldwide revenue was $156 billion, which is not bad, right? Like how, how do you start from just this, like, two dudes who have an idea, and then, like, what, what transpires? And, again, the, the history is there. You can study it. But I'm amazed by how they go from two dudes who had an idea to $156 billion in revenue. That's incredible. Now, in all sincerity, and even a lot of non-believing uh, historians would agree with this, what's it's perhaps even more incredible is the story of Christianity. Jesus was a poor, humble, for the most part, homeless Jewish dude who was crucified 
at the end of his ministry or career, you could say, and all of his disciples did what? When he was crucified. Fled. They gone, right? That's not typically a great way to start a movement, right? Like, that was not, like, they didn't win best in class or most likely to succeed, right? And beyond that, the disciples, a lot of them were professional fishermen. I'm not hating on that, but, like, again, normally those aren't the guys that you're like, man, they're going to start a worldwide movement, right? Like, no, I like to go catch bass, right? Like, that's what I do. And that group of Jesus followers turned the world upside down. John Ortberg, uh, in a, his book, Who Is This Man?, which we actually have that book back there. You can get it for five bucks. It's a really good deal. But he says this. I love this. Unlike almost all companies, organizations, and people, Jesus' impact was greater 100 years after his death than during his life. It was greater still after 500 years. After 1,000 years, his legacy laid the foundation for much of Europe. After 2,000 years, he has more followers in more places than ever. Yale historian Pelican wrote, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth has been the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible, with some sort of super magnet, to pull up out of the history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? If there was ever a group that had nothing going for them and actually had everything going against them and like you would fully expect in a few years or even a few months to be nothing, it was the followers of Jesus. (laughs) But here we are, over 2,000 years later, across the world, and we got a room full of college students talking about him. How in the world does that happen? (laughs) That blows my mind. That is what the story, the book of Acts is about. It was written by a guy named Luke who was, uh, he was actually not a a Jew. He was a, a Gentile but feared God and eventually encountered Jesus, encountered some followers of Jesus and became a Christian. He was a, a writer, a physician. He was a traveler, a missionary. And he had been so changed by the story of Jesus that he wanted to write down the story of Jesus so that others could not only know the story of Jesus, but have confidence in what they believed. Because Luke knew that the story of Jesus had the potential and the power to change every other story. So, Luke wrote what we know as the gospel of Luke, which if you're in Acts, it's just you have John before Acts and Luke before that. So he wrote the the book of Luke to record what Jesus did while he was here on earth. But then Acts is is part two, the sequel to that, and it records what the followers of Jesus did. That's, That's where Acts falls in. Now, it's interesting in the end of Luke and beginning of Acts, we see that after Jesus, so he was crucified, and three days later, he rose again, which is pretty epic in and of itself, right? Pretty awesome. So three days later, he rose again, and then it says that for 40 days, he spent time showing himself to his disciples, proving that he had risen from the dead, showing himself, and also talking about the kingdom of God and talking about the Holy Spirit who he had promised would come, that he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave, like, just a heads up, I'm going to leave, which you can still like, 
you rose from the dead, like, where are you going, bro, right? Like, um, I'm going to leave, and the Holy Spirit is going to come. But Okay, cool, and I'm not sure what that is, but cool. So 40 days comes to an end, and they are gathered at the Mount of Olives. And this, this is epic. I mean, Lauren actually got to go there a few years ago. It's so cool. The Mount of Olives, it looks kind of down on the old city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus and, and the disciples, they're on the Mount of Olives where we pick up in Acts chapter 1 down in verse 6. So they're on the Mount of Olives. And when I said this is an epic moment, it's because they, as Jews, have been picked on and defeated so many times from other countries. And now they're standing with the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives, and they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Right? Like, hey, we're a small group, but we got Jesus, and this dude walks through walls. <laughs> like, this dude is legit. Like, we're, we're small, but we could be a force to be reckoned with with him. And so they ask, verse 6, it says, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So they're, they're kind of walking out with like they have a fake lats. They're walking all big and saying like, you ever know people like that? They walk like this, but there's nothing there to push their arms out. They just act big, you know what I'm saying? So they're kind of walking like this, like, bro, we got Jesus. He, he's, he's God. He can walk through walls. And we're, Israel is about to be on the scene. Like, we're about to take down Rome. We're about to go. You know what Egypt did to us? We're about to go take care of Egypt for what they did back in the day. Like, we're feeling good about ourselves. Right? They're feeling big. So they say, Jesus, are you fixing to restore the kingdom? Like, it, it, is this it? Like, has the time come? And I, look at Jesus' response. I love it. He says, verse 7, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, Jesus, while he would be really good at Jesus juking, that's not what he was doing right there, right? (laughs) See, their question when they asked, are you about to restore the kingdom to Israel? Their question shows that they didn't really quite fully get, I, mean, I think they, they for sure were starting to get who he was, right? He had risen from the dead. But they didn't quite fully get his mission. See, his mission was much, much bigger than just, than just Israel, the, the Jews. See, Jesus was not on a mega tour, a make Israel great again tour. Like that's not, that's not what he was doing. It was much bigger than that. It was not just about Israel. It was about every single nation. So he said, hey, hey, that's cool. But actually, I have something bigger for you. You're going to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're, you're going to be my witnesses, not just here, but throughout the entire world. That's what you're going to do. See, the mission of Jesus uh, of providing salvation through the cross had already been accomplished, but the mission of taking the gospel to the world had not. So he says, hey, I have a plan for you. I've got something for you. You Y'all, what Jesus said to them over 2,000 years ago, he, he says to us, there are two truths here that are so important for us to get. I think that they could be simple, like things that maybe you've glossed over before, but it's so important that we get these. Y'all, not because God has more rules for us, like, yep, 2019, those Christians down in Lubbock need some more to do. 
Thank you, James. <laughs> no, it's not because we need more rules. It's because, again, partly because he has a mission for us. He invites us to be on mission with him. But also because what we're about, what we're about to cover in these two points, <clears throat> we were created to live this way. And so when you don't live and fulfill what God has for you, you're never going to be fulfilled. <laughs> you're never going to be satisfied if you ignore God's purpose and plan for your life. Are you with me? So that's why this is huge. Not because we have more to do and we just like rules and we like lists. No, because, man, this is what God has for us. And also because this is really, I would say, the, even the path to satisfaction. So here's the first thing. I'm going to read verse 8 one more time. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's the first thing I want you to see. We're going to have it on the screen. As a Christian, my purpose is to take the good news of Jesus to the world. We are to be witnesses, witnesses of Jesus Christ. A witness is someone who affirms and agrees, yes, hey, Jesus is really, really good. Like, here's what I've seen, and I'm going to tell you about it, and I'm going to be open about it. And even if you think it's a little weird, I'm still going to stand by it because I know it to be true. Notice he doesn't say, you receive power and you will be my apologist. You, you will be the defenders of the faith. You will be an incredible philosopher who will destroy anyone who tries to raise, raise an argument against Christianity. No, he says, you're going to be my what? You're my witnesses. Just someone who says, hey, this is what I've seen to be true in my life. This is what I've seen about Jesus, and I'm, I'm telling you, I believe it's the truth, and I'm willing to stand by it, that Jesus is really, really good, that he is the hope of my life, that he's been a rock when everything else around me has been falling apart, that he's given me purpose and direction and guidance, that he's been faithful when everything else around me and everyone else around me has been unfaithful. He has been faithful. His promises are true. Yeah, that's the Jesus I believe in, that man, on my own, like I tend to get in ruts and get self-centered, but Jesus has changed my heart where he provides joy and satisfaction. And, and again, I'm not stuck in these ruts all the time because he's actually working on my life. Yeah, I'm going to stand on that. That's who I know Jesus to be. So you're going to be witnesses. Y'all, this generation maybe more than ever, needs Christians who are willing to say, hey, I'll be a witness for Jesus. Like, not that I'm going to necessarily like go up on the rooftop and I'm going to start preaching, but just I'm going to engage with people and talk with people and say, hey, Jesus is good. Like, here's what I've seen about him. And yeah, what he says in scripture is actually true. I've seen it in my own life. We need a generation that's going to stand up and say, you know what, I'm not going to let Satan discourage me from, being, from fulfilling my purpose of being a witness. I'm not going to let him get me focused on myself. I'm not going to let him distract me from, from being the person I am to be, and that is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let him do that. I'm going to stand firm and carry out my purpose. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon says. Man, this is kind of like in your face a little bit. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, every Christian here is either a missionary Another word we could use is what? Witness, thank you. Is either a missionary, a witness, or an imposter. And he says, I love it. He lived uh, quite a while ago, so they speak a little differently. He says, recollect that. <laughs> so he like drops his mic and then he's like, think about that, right? 
You're either a missionary or you're an imposter. You're either a witness or you're a fake. He was right to say, recollect that. He goes on. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent mouth about him. That man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him by mouth or pen or tract is an imposter. Y'all, something's up. If I can sing and say I love Jesus, but I never talk about him, right? Preaching to me too. (laughs) Something's up. And maybe you say, dude, I get that. I've heard that for a long time, that that's my purpose. Like, I'm supposed to be a witness. He wants me to share the gospel, not like, not just here, but man, he wants me to have like a world, a, a world encompassing view of how am I going to take the gospel to the world? You're like, hey, Brandon, I get that, but I don't know if I, I can do that by myself. Like, I'm just a college student. I'm just a young adult. Like, bro, I got all this debt. I can't be going out and sharing the gospel. Like, what are you talking about? And I would say, you're exactly right. Like, you can't do it by yourself. So you know what? Jesus knew that too. And he said, hey, I got a little helper for you. His name is the Holy Spirit. This is something worth getting excited about here in a second. This is the second thing. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit gives me power to take the good news of Jesus to the world. You are not on your own to be a witness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? You don't have to do it by yourself. If you are a Christian, you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you know that you have a purpose to take the gospel to your friends and your family, and really ultimately to be a part of taking it to the world, you are not alone if you know Christ. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you to empower you and give you a boldness to share Jesus. Are you with me? Here's what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not this creepy gargoyle up in like the corner of the room and when worship gets good, he's like, let me come down. Like, <laughs> that's not what he does. He's not just this blob like, Ugh, just kind of floating through the room and every now and then you're like, oh, I got a little teary-eyed, the Spirit's moving. Like, no, the Spirit is not just warm fuzzies that you feel, which it could, he does make you feel good, but this, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God living in you as a Christian with resurrection, life-changing, life-giving power to give you boldness to share the gospel. I love what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit um, all through the gospels. You don't have to write all these down. I'll just tell you if you are curious, I can send them to you later. But Mark 13 and Luke 12, 12, he tells us that Jesus said the Holy Spirit will tell us what to speak, what to say when we're in an awkward situation of sharing the gospel and we're not sure what to do, that the Holy Spirit will help us. And not like he puts a little earpiece in your ear and he's like, next word is. Like, no, but he's going to work in your spirit to tell you what to say. John 14, 26 says, He is the comforter, and he's going to remind us of what Jesus said. So as a Christian, as you're walking through your life, he's going to speak to you and say, hey, remember what Jesus told you. Remember the words of Scripture. Luke 4 says that he leads us. 
John 6, 63 says that the Holy Spirit makes us alive to God. John 15, 26 says that he is the helper. John 16, 13 says that he guides us into all truth. And I love Acts. We're going to see over and over again in Acts that the Holy Spirit empowers us, emboldens us to be witnesses for Jesus, to share the gospel. So to go back to that question, like how, how does something so small and insignificant, honestly, like just waiting to be tipped over and blown out as, or stepped on and trampled on as nothing. How does something so small and weak and powerless with all the forces of darkness and Rome pushing it against, and even the, the, like, the religious leaders of Israel pushing it against this, sorry, against it. How does something so small grow into a kingdom that takes, not takes over, but spreads throughout the entire earth? How does that happen? Through spirit-empowered Witnesses for Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8. Hey, look. Yeah, Israel's great, but we're going to actually, we're, gonna, we're not just shooting for Israel. We're going to take the whole world. This is make the world great again to her. And we're going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit through you as witnesses. That's how we're going to do it. And you say, man, like, that's cool. But again, like, man, I don't know if I have the right personality or I stumble over my words, which if you come here long enough, you know I stumble over my words and say things that are weird. Um, no amens on that. <laughs> Here's the deal. If you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And there is no shortcoming or personality trait or weakness that cannot be overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit erases every, ah, man, like I, I hate this because it's like convicting, but <laughs> he erases every single reason we could give to not be a witness for Christ. Nothing stands against his power. And whatever, like, this is my weakness, this is my problem, he pushes right through it and crushes it. Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Christ. And we have a purpose of being witnesses. And we don't just have a purpose, like, oh, good luck. We have power. Again, it's not like Jesus was like, God the Father was like, crap, Jesus is coming back up to heaven. Oh, what are they going to do? They're going to screw it up. Like, no. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. Now, maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're like, bro, hey, he's like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you. Like, Purpose, yes, I, I'm on board. I want to live with purpose. I want to be a witness for Christ and power, yes. I want to, I want to like start to see the Holy Spirit working in and through me to start having conversations and be a witness for Christ. But, dude, I have no idea where to begin. Like, seriously, do I need to go like buy a bunch of old school tracks that say, like, are you going to hell? Like, do I need to just start getting in people's faces and, like, screaming about Jesus? Um, like, this is totally random, but uh, my wife sitting back there it made me think she went to the University of North Florida, and there was this guy, I'm sure Tech has this, but there was this guy that would always come, and like, he was preaching in the name of Jesus, but not really, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was, it was all hell and condemnation, no grace, nothing about Jesus in all, like, reality. And so one day, one of her buddies uh, went and got a white robe, dressed up like Jesus, and walked out there, and stood up right beside the guy, and was like, hey, bro, I heard you're talking about me. <laughs> Anyways, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I 
probably know I'm not supposed to put on a white robe and go talk to people. Like, though you could. Like, in all actuality, how am I supposed to do this? Well, here's the deal. There's no, there's no magic silver bullet I can give you that, like, do these three things and you'll be a witness for Christ and it'll change everything. Like, that's like a cult, right? Like, that we're not doing that. But I do want to give you some just simple, practical, concrete things you can do to start taking steps toward being a spirit-empowered witness for Christ. And we're going to use the acronym, or I've made a little acronym out of the word ACTS because we're going through ACTS. And so, man, if you even want to write some of this down, like where, where ACTS starts in your Bible, well, that might be a cool idea to go back to it. But these are four things I think you can do every day. So we're going to put the first one on the screen. And that is, so A for A is the beginning of ACTS. Ask God to make you a bold witness who sees opportunities for the gospel. So, if, like, really short way to say this, like, just ask God to help you, right? <laughs> That's where it begins. I remember we came back from Vancouver. We took a little mission trip there over the break with some of the students and young adults. And I came back and was really very convicted about the fact that I needed to be more of a witness in my everyday life. But I was like, God, I... I I'm at church or talking with people from the journey often. Like, I don't have a lot of time where I'm encountering people that, that don't know you. And so I just ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, hey, could you show me, like, along the way, people that I could share the gospel with? And I felt like almost immediately, it wasn't like I had this vision in my brain or all of a sudden this gargoyle came and sat at the kitchen table. But I just, all of a sudden, the Lord really did start bringing some people to mind that I could start being intentional with. And so I didn't go out the next day and, like, every one of them, you know where you're going for eternity? Like, I didn't do that. But I just started having conversations, right? And eventually, I, I, with one of them, I've already asked, like, hey, can you just tell me, like, what's your relationship with God look like? like we, we got into her faith and got pretty far with that. But it all started with just saying, God, could you show me? Could you, like, open up my eyes? All right, so that's A. The next one, C, is care about others and treat them as more important than yourself. Care about others and treat them as more important than yourself. Man, this, this is huge. Uh, one of our friends in Vancouver, Craig O'Brien, incredible godly man. He is a pastor on the campus of University of British Columbia, uh, which, man, incredible, beautiful campus. But Craig talked about how this, this truth, this idea, really revolutionized the way that he, he um, engages with people for the gospel. That it's not this... All right, I have this pressure, excuse me, this presentation to give. Now here's all this information. I got to jump right to Jesus. No, it begins just with actually caring about people, right? So often we're worried like, man, they're going to get mad. Here's the truth. If you're just genuinely trying to get to know somebody and actually more interested in their lives, that's where the um, consider them as more important than yourself. You actually really care about who they are. When you eventually say, well, man, like, tell me about like your relationship with God or do you believe in God? Probably, even if they don't agree with you, they're probably going to be willing to talk because you actually care. So I think all of us, if we'll quit thinking of it as, I got this presentation I got to do, and just say, hey, who can I care about today? Like, who can I stop and actually have a conversation with and see what God does? I've already found that I really do feel this is true. Levi and I experienced this in Canada. I'll talk about this more next week, I think, or the week after maybe. But we were talking with a girl on the campus of uh, University of British Columbia, and we really were just having a conversation about, like, her tests and all these things. And as we were having a genuine, caring conversation, like, she eventually came to the point of just saying, could you guys actually tell me about Jesus? I've always wanted to hear about him. And so we're like, man, two lucky guys are going to get to share the gospel. No, we actually we, we got to share the gospel, right? Like, we took advantage of the opportunity. So ask God 
care for others. And then T is take any opportunity to ask why they believe what they believe, pray for them, or share about Jesus. So take the opportunity. When you, when you see that window of, man, I could ask what I could pray for them, or I could just say, hey, that's, that's really interesting. Tell me why you believe that. that that's, that's really, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Or, or just to say, hey, actually, man, I would love to share my faith with you. Like, take the opportunity. One of our friends, um, Victor, he says he thinks of it as putting a rock in their shoe. So, meaning, you ever, when you get a little rock in your shoe, what do you have to do? If it, like, you walk, take a few steps, maybe walk like halfway to class, what do you eventually do? You stop and like, i got to deal with this rock, right? And it may only take five, ten seconds, but you still have to deal with it. We want to put rocks in people's shoes of the gospel, meaning, even if it's just saying, dude, man, hey, what's your name? Awesome. Hey, so I, I met a girl, a lady, um, I was at PetSmart getting food for our dog, and that was uh, New Year's Eve, I think, and I said, um, have a good New Year's or something, I don't know what I said, but she said, man, I hope it's better than 2018, it was rough. So I said, hey, I cared, hey, tell me about that, as she's bringing up the one bag of dog food, and uh, she said, man, it was just rough, it said some things, and I said, got her name, I think it was Tracy, I said, hey, Tracy, now, I'm going to pray that God really works in your life in 2019, that Jesus does some really cool things. And she was like, man, thank you. And that was it. So I, did I share the gospel? No. But I may have put a rock in her shoe, right, where she goes, man, that, that Christian actually cared about me. Like maybe this God thing is actually kind of cool. Even if that's all she thought about, it was a seed, right? It was something. So take the opportunity. And here's the last one, S. This is very similar, but still, I think, helpful. Stop obsessing. And start obeying. Are y'all like me? Anytime, or most times, that I sense maybe the Spirit's like, the Holy Spirit's leading me to talk with somebody, or like, man, I can have a conversation with them. So often, I go into hyper um, concerned, overthinking, obsessive mode. I'm like, well, all right, so what should I say? And man, how should I walk over there? Should I walk with confidence or kind of chill? I don't want to be too aggressive. Like I start thinking. And at like 20 minutes later, it's like, well, they left the coffee shop. I guess it wasn't God's will. It's like, bro, you sat there for 20 minutes, right? Like one time I had, I felt like the, I saw our neighbor across the street and I thought, man, I should invite her to our, it was the Saturday before Easter. I thought, man, I should invite her to Easter services. And I was in the garage doing some things. And so I started thinking, well, I could ask this and I could do this. Or maybe I should, maybe I don't even ask about Easter first. I felt like the Lord was like, bro, just go ask her to come to church. Like quit obsessing about how to do it perfectly because you're not going to. And just start obeying, right? Like stop freaking out about how to do it perfectly and just give it a shot. And you know what? Because you have the what in you, the Holy Spirit, it might just go okay, <laughs> right? Because the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to do it. So stop obsessing and start obeying. Now, some really, really cool things happen when you stop obsessing and start obeying. When you read the rest of the story, man, it is so, so incredible. It says that they stood there. Jesus says, what he says in Acts 1-8, you're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses. And it says they're standing, they're standing there looking at him. It says, verse 10, while they were gazing into heaven as he went to, to find someone to replace Judas, because if you know that story, like he's not a part of the posse anymore, which is a different story, right? But they had to find somebody to replace Judas. And so um, they do that, and then just a few days after that, Pentecost happens. 
Man, this is incredible. The Holy Spirit came. Now, we, don't, we take that for granted because we, like as Christians, experience the Holy Spirit all the time. But for the first time, the Holy Spirit, like using the biblical words, fell on God's followers, on the followers of Jesus. So people who had placed their faith in Jesus, realizing who he was, the Holy Spirit then came down and lived inside of them. And this was, this was an epic moment. It says that actually they began to speak in tongues. And not like in, in gibberish, like we're not sure what's happening. No, it says that people who weren't other believers around them, what I mean is like there was like a purpose to it, okay? So people around them that weren't followers of Jesus were hearing them speak in their own tongues. So I mean like if I spoke Greek, but they only spoke Hebrew, somehow whatever they're saying, I'm hearing it in Greek. So they're going, what the heck is going on, right? Like, I know these dudes are from, and these girls are from Galilee, but I'm hearing them speak in my language. What in the world is going on? And it says, I love verse, uh, chapter 2, verse, let me find it, uh, verse 11. It says, they were telling the mighty works of God. So they're not just hearing them talk like, hey, nice weather, pretty windy today. No, they're hearing them proclaim the mighty works of God, which I think, given the context, I think it's safe to say they're proclaiming who Jesus was. They're talking about all Jesus had done. And it's actually, if you read the text, it says it was 9 a.m. in the morning, 9 a.m. And so some people are starting to go, dude, this is weird. I don't know what's happening. Are these people drunk? Like, it's only 9 a.m., but crazy things happen, right? Like, are they drunk? What's going on? So Peter stands up, says, hey, look, look, y'all. It's 9 a.m. We ain't drunk, okay? He says, here's what's happened. Just like the prophet Joel prophesied long ago, long ago, the Holy Spirit has come. And here's what's going on. Jesus, the Son of God, who, and he gets bold here, who you crucified, crucified, that would also be bad. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> who you crucified, he's the son of God, he rose again, and he offers you forgiveness and hope and love because he is alive, though he was dead, he's alive, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, and now, just like he promised, the Holy Spirit has come, he's transforming our lives, and you know what, Jesus' love is big enough for you that even though you crucified him, or crucified, which is also bad, he offers you forgiveness and grace if you'll turn to him. And you know what happened? If you look over in verse 41 of chapter 2, it says 3,000 people got saved that day. Holy crap, it's a crapple. 3,000 people. That's not like, well, pretty good Sunday today. Somebody walked the aisle. 3,000 people got saved. Now, who was it that was preaching so boldly? Who was, what's his name? Just tell me. Peter, thank you. This is the same Peter that just a few months before cowered in shame and fear, denying Christ. Man, I, man, I don't know him. I don't have anything to do with, with what's going on out there. Denying Christ in fear. And now he's standing up boldly saying, hey, knowing it could cost him his life, saying, hey, turn to Christ. Man, he's offering you salvation. Turn to him. He's the hope of the world. What in the world happened? How did he go from ashamed and fearful and weak to boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ? You know what happened? 
Peter embraced the fact that he had a purpose to be a witness and he just didn't have purpose. He had the power of the Holy Spirit in him to proclaim. That's what happened. And 3,000 people got saved. Now, I'm just curious what might happen if you and I embrace the fact that we have a purpose to be witnesses and that we have power in the Holy Spirit to be bold for Christ. What might happen? Now, I don't know if 3,000 people will get saved. That'd be pretty sick. (laughs) But I know one thing, your dorm might start looking different, right? Your apartment complex, the people you do life with, I mean, their lives might start being changed. The people you go to class with, they might start looking different. Where you work might start changing for the gospel. You know why? Because Jesus is still in the life-changing business. He's still in the, in the business of providing hope and love and mercy and grace. But listen, he wants to use us as witnesses. Amen? Y'all, we have purpose. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's start living like it. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LBK.